If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas, and I'm excited that you're here. And with that, we're going to jump into this week's podcast here in just a second. We're going to hit up our sponsors that help make the show possible. There's lots of companies that I believe in that I think help veterans across the board, whether it's find a job, hire talent, become more efficient in their practice, all those things, right? So these sponsors mean a ton to me. So I know a lot of people will fast forward or skip through them. But if and when you're looking for help and some of the solutions they offer, I would highly, highly encourage you to check them out. And so with that, no further ado, jump into the ads and we'll get right into the show. So thank you for listening and uh, enjoy. I get it, Isaiah. You talk about Bitcoin all the time. Well, as I go out and about, I continually hear the demand for any more Bitcoin education, or I don't really understand. I hear you talking about it. I know you're passionate about it. I know you have a lot of conviction, but I need more info. And that's where Bitcoin for Vet Med really came from, was taking, hey, the 10,000, 100,000 hours of time that I've spent and distill it down into bite-sized courses and walking you through of getting a foundational why, a little bit of understanding the technical side of Bitcoin, and then how to grapple with the fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and just the things that you hear throughout the media and giving you the ability to up your Bitcoin knowledge to go from zero to hero and feel a lot more comfortable saying, okay, this is something that matters and I want to take some of the value that I create and save into Bitcoin. So head over to bitcoinforvetmed.com or click the link in the show notes. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Finding a job or finding a veterinarian shouldn't be a waste of time. Enter an offer first. Paul Diaz and team have created something really special with Offer First. Some of my favorite reasons are as follows. Candidates and employers will both have values aligned on the first step, not the last. The sign-up process, quick and simple, no resume required. So if you're looking for a job, but you aren't really sure, it's as easy as scrolling on Zillow for a home. And finally, if you have a great match, it's based on your each unique requirements, not random keywords. If you want to learn more, listen to episode 179 with Paul Diaz. We cover all of that. The other exclusive great thing that you're going to get from this ad read and from Paul is I convinced him to give an exclusive discount to listeners of this podcast. So for owners, you're getting a 20% discount on both the placement of any candidate, but also access to the platform. Use VSP if you go to offer first or the easiest way is a link in the show notes. So check it out. Associates, those looking for a job, same thing. Use the link in the show notes. Use VSP if you go directly to offer first. But 
I will donate and Paul will donate to a veterinary nonprofit of your choosing. So each person that signs up gets a vote. Your votes actually count, which is incredible. And so I'll be reaching out. I will handle that. But there's going to be a donation made for any associate or any job seeker that adds on the platform. We want to make sure that not only does the platform help to make sure that you find a better fit, better culture, better role, but it's also doing good in veterinary medicine. Okay. So link in the show notes is going to take you to offer first. It's going to automatically apply that, but also use code VSP if you go to offer first directly. And offer first is changing the game of veterinary recruiting. I want each and every one of you to benefit from it. So check them out today. Find out for yourself why my friends at Shepherd Veterinary Software are the fastest growing practice management software. They're doing something right. Founded by Dr. Cindy Barnes, Shepherd is an intuitive, easy to learn, streamlines practice management. Built for vets, by vets, it works for you and your team so you have more time to spend on what's most important, your patients. Shepherd automatically updates the medical records, adds services to the invoice, generates discharge instructions, and so much more. Bring home more stories and less stress. Check them out at shepherd.vet. Again, that's shepherd.vet. All right. Today on the show, I have a podcast that's been a little while in the making, one that I'm super excited about, but I'm joined by Dr. Cody Creelman. Dr. Creelman, for those that are unaware, is the CEO of FinVet, which is striving to reimagine veterinary care for the betterment of patients, clients, and the veterinary team. They focus on improving animal wellness, providing better veterinary care and the experience, and continue to challenge the traditional animal care paradigms. He's an entrepreneur, a thinker, lots of different topics that we're going to cover, both inside and outside of veterinary medicine. Uh, Cody, thank you so much and welcome. No, thank you. So I wanted to pull just listeners of the show and say like, hey, I'm going to talk to Dr. Cody Creelman, what kind of questions you have in one, and I'm not sure if they know you or not, or if there's a connection here, but the first and definitely most important question was, they want to know when they should expect you to grow back the full beard. And I say that because I just shaved after four years of a full beard as well. And so I was like, I have to ask that question. So the people are demanding an answer. Okay, well, probably not until I do a sabbatical. The beard was grown during a gap where I took some time and where I actually created Fen. So Fen grew with the beard. And then once we were launching, I decided to go with the permanent five o'clock shadow. So I think the real answer will be the beard will come back in six years. So I have a dream that in six years that my family and I are going to take six months off and we're going to hike the AT, the Appalachia Trail, as a family. So then my kids will be 16, 14, and 10. I love it. That's awesome. It's a great answer. I was like, I don't know where he'll take this, but glad I got a laugh. And it's cool to understand that. Love the idea of it growing with the business. I shaved when I exited my last business. And that was kind of like this changing of the season personally. So I get it. So there's even a little bit more nuance if we're going to talk about my facial hair. So I had grown it out until I filmed my TV show. So on Discovery Plus, there's a TV show called Pop My Pet. So we made it exactly one episode and never got past the pilot. But it was a debate amongst the production team. Do I keep the beard for the show or do I shave? And if I shave, is it clean shaven? Because they need continuity, right? So they said, no, keep the permanent five o'clock shadow. And then 
we never have to worry about that continuity. So I did what the Hollywood producers told me to do. The show never got picked up by Discovery Plus and the rest is history. Yeah, love it. Makes sense. <laughs> you never know. It's like, hey, if I would have kept the beard, we definitely are getting picked up. That was the hook, right? <laughs> That's right. But on a little bit more serious note, you had an Instagram post that caught my attention and I would love for you to expand on it if you want to. And you mentioned that there's no veterinary shortage. There's a leadership shortage in veterinary medicine. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's definitely no veterinarian shortage as you can quantify it. And there definitely is a veterinary leadership shortage. So let's talk about the first one first, because I love screaming it from the rooftops. There is no vet shortage, full stop, period. We have a massive veterinarian oversupply, and I don't know why the world thinks that it's the opposite. There certainly is difficulty finding veterinarians to work in Sheridan, Wyoming, or Shelby, Montana, but if you actually looked at population distribution across the U.S. or population distribution across Canada, you would find that 90% of the people live in the top 30 cities. So why would you not expect the same distribution for veterinarians? And if, yeah, it's hard to find a vet to go to a small town of 3,000 people, but that town probably doesn't statistically make sense in terms of distribution of veterinarians. If 90% of the people want to live in these 30 cities, then why wouldn't 90% of the vets? So we have a massive vet oversupply. And there's a reason that I'm saying that of what I see is, is certainly there is an efficiency issue within our profession. There's no question that if the veterinarians that are currently in practice were properly optimized, given appropriate support teams, and given the appropriate tools to be able to get through their day, they would be able to do 200, 300, 400% more high quality cases if you actually supported them appropriately. That comes down to leadership, right? So where are all the vet leaders? Where did they all go? And my thesis, I didn't really crystallize it till I was asked by Dr. Scott Spalding, right? I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Scott. Have you ever heard of Mavana before? I'm not familiar. Yeah, so Mavana was a really amazing story. So they were a mixed animal consolidator that was started by Dr. Scott. Dr. Scott had this dream that one day his shares would be, for his practice, he had a practice called Badger Vet, that his shares would be worth $1 million. What a great, audacious dream he had, right? That he just, what could he do within this singular practice to increase the value of his practice so his share value was worth a $1 million? That's how he started out. And he decided, well, probably the best way was to consolidate a few practices together, bring some veterinarians into the partnership unit and to grow this through scale. And he had a fantastic success in being able to do this. He was able to consolidate some massive equine hospitals, one of the largest in the U.S. He was able to roll up a whole bunch of different clinics. He was able to fundraise and then eventually sold it. He had a great exit, which hurts my heart. And Scott is a great friend of mine, and he is one of the greatest veterinary minds, uh, business minds I've ever come across. But I feel like he left 
the leadership role too early. He left the profession too early because we need people like Scott Spaulding's, right? And he didn't even want to sell. He had a group of partners. He had a board. He had investors. When given this opportunity to make this grand exit, he was essentially forced to do it. And now he's not leading hundreds of veterinarians anymore. And somebody like that should be. Or I think about my friend, Dr. Dan Markwalder. He built up 18 practices in the greater Chicago area and was acquired by MVP. And while he is still in a, in quote, leadership role as the chief veterinary officer, it's not to the same capacity as being this great entrepreneurial, innovative veterinarian leading hundreds of veterinary professionals in the Chicagoland area. We need more Dr. Dan's. We need more Dr. Scott's. If we had that, we would have more optimization and more efficiencies, and we would make the veterinary supply go a lot further. So I'm really worried because not only do I think we have a veterinary oversupply right now, we really are going to have a veterinarian oversupply when we start graduating all the new graduates that are coming out of all of the new vet schools. There's a massive amount of new vet schools and a massive amount of veterinarians coming to market. What we're also going to see is we're going to see consolidators consolidating practices, right? Um, December of 2022, the financial world hit a wall and all of the money that was pouring in to these venture capital backed practice groups stopped flowing, right? So what do they have to do? They have to run their businesses like businesses. They have to optimize. What does that mean? That means they have to close down some underperformers, right? If you can't hire veterinarians into your practices, you're going to have to close them down. Consolidators don't buy practices. They buy market share. So they're not going to just resell an underperforming vet clinic to a young veterinary professional to keep that practice going. They're going to close it because they bought market share. They're going to hope that some of those clients are going to go to their other clinics. They're going to consolidate the staff. They're going to close practices. And then we have the boomers, right? We have all of those veterinarians across the U.S. and Canada who are 65 years old, who operate one and two doctor practices, who are actually the majority of veterinary clinics, maybe not by revenues, right? But there's a lot of one and two doctor practices across the U.S. owned by 65-year-old veterinarians that are, what's the retirement plan? There's nobody left to buy them, right? The consolidators were never interested in those clinics. And now we have a generation of veterinarians who aren't as keen to become entrepreneurs because practice owners haven't been talking into their ears since they graduated vet school. And now you're going to have a lot of those practices literally just close their doors. So not only are you going to have an increase in veterinarians, you're going to have a decrease in practices for them to work, and you're going to have optimization and efficiencies across the board where veterinarians that do exist within practice are going to be even better. I think about the advances I've seen in the last two years in terms of medical record efficiencies, it's bananas. We have AI integrated medical record software now. My veterinarians are 
rocking ChatGPT, their medical record efficiency is skyrocketing. So that allows them to see more cases throughout the day. So it's very, very layered in terms of my comments, but I don't just flippantly say that there's a leadership shortage or there's a veterinarian shortage. There's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of things that are happening that would indicate we're heading that way. And so I guess to throw to you, So what does that mean, right? On a greater economic scale, what does that mean to have an oversupply of something in basic microeconomics? Yeah, exactly. So the thought is that the wage growth or what people think they're going to make is just not going to be there. And so the competition all of a sudden is going to be completely different. I think that's an interesting angle. And I was thinking in my mind and laughing a little bit like, man, I prepared way too many questions because I had four things that you said there. I'm like, oh, we could just talk about that the rest of the time. But ultimately, it's And I've talked about this before, when younger veterinarians were ghosting or kind of playing games because there was so much demand for their skill set just to fill a body body at a hospital, that is going to come back and bite a lot of people if what you're saying is correct. And all of a sudden, you're going to have to scrap and fight to get positions. People remember that. And that's something that I think needs to be at the forefront of the mind is like how you treat people. This isn't a massive industry. And a lot of people are going to talk and people names on the business card may change, but the people all kind of are going to go different positions in different places, but they're not necessarily leaving a lot of times, especially those that are maybe in those hiring roles or within some of the leadership at these different companies. One of the things I want to ask, so talk about efficiency and you talked about support teams. One of the questions I've gotten from folks that listen to the podcast is what is the ideal kind of setup for a support team? So I didn't know if you wanted to kind of share what your thoughts are. I know it's going to be nuanced. I know it depends, but in your minds, as you've seen and what you've built out with FinVet, what do you think is the optimal setup for a veterinarian with a support team to be as efficient as possible? For sure. Before we jump into that, I just wanted to point out this kind of leading indicator that I think people should watch, and that's the relief veterinarian market, because I feel like they are the first ones that are going to show us that these predictions are right. You can imagine what the relief market is going to do. We saw two years ago, you could hire a relief veterinarian for $75 an hour. Then it went to 85, and then it went to 95, and then 105, and then 120, and 140, all within the same geography. So massive, massive inflation and relief veterinarian availability and wage. So we then had to like, if I needed one shift covered, I would have to send out an email to five or six relief vets just to get one shift covered in a month. They were all stacked full. They were busy. Now, guess what's happening? The relief vets are calling me. The relief vets are sending me emails trying to pick up shifts. The whole thing is dried up. So what does that mean for me? That means I get to now dictate pricing, right? I can say I have a shift on December 16th at $65 an hour, take it or leave it. Because now there's 12 of them that are looking for any sort of shift coverage. You also have things that happen like NVA um, laying off all their 1099s, right? All their relief veterinarians, all their contract veterinarians. Those veterinarians are then going to seek the security of a salary. So they're going to enter into as associate veterinarians and there's going to be a glut of those. So you're going to be able to hire them for cheaper as well. I'll be shocked in a year or two if you can't hire veterinarians in good areas for $75,000. It sounds wild right now, but I think it's going to happen. Anyways, to efficiency. It is so incredibly veterinary dependent, right? The one thing that we sell 
in this business is units of veterinarian time. And I know that can be debated, but it is true. There is no question. There's only one unit of thing that we sell, units of veterinarian time. So you have to always keep that in the back of your mind. Each veterinarian is going to operate differently. Each veterinarian is going to Some veterinarians are going to be higher producing, so more efficient with those minutes. Some veterinarians are going to need a little bit more support. But what I think is a very realistic expectation. So at the very least at FenVet, the veterinarians, if they're on medical appointments, they have their own technologist and their own technologist assistant, full stop. Okay. If they're on surgery, at the very minimum, they have one technologist in the surgical suite with them, one technologist prepping patients, and one technical assistant helping out in the middle. We're working on a project right now that I'm calling Project Border Collie, where I'm building essentially what I think is going to be an optimized support team around a specific veterinarian. Now, this veterinarian is tuned for something like this. So what that's going to look like is two technologists and two TAs built around them, them taking two columns of appointments that are staggered a half an hour and 15 minutes apart. So you have one appointment starting, say, at five o'clock, the next appointment starting at 5.15, the first appointment finishing at 5.30, and you go on and on staggering with running two medical teams. There's no question in today's day and age with AI-integrated medical software that There's no reason why a veterinarian shouldn't be walking out of an exam room, getting grabbed by the collar by a TA, walking and rounding to the next exam room, walking in, and a technologist standing there already starting the appointment. The veterinarian assesses what they need to assess. They make their diagnosis and their prescription, and they walk out the door, and they get grabbed by the collar again, and they walk directly into another exam room. There's no need for them to be doing medical records. There's no need for them to be doing client communication. There's only three things that a vet should be doing, prescribing, diagnosing, and doing surgery. Everything else can be designated to to another team member. So there's other layers of that, right? So I think you need a phone team of three in a standard clinic. I think you need two client care coordinators that aren't answering phones that are helping people with that customer journey. But in terms of that technical team, I think that the very least our profession should be striving for one tech and one TA per veterinarian with the ability to go to two, but there's no reason that with the right veterinarian, you couldn't have a team of eight, a team of 10, a team of 14 surrounding a single veterinarian. Interesting. Thank you for that. Another thought, technology inherently brings efficiency. And so efficiency should drive down costs, right? Do we agree on that? You feel like technology? Do you think this idea of veterinary care becoming more affordable happens with the efficiency of the tools? And if not, why? Because I mean, I don't think costs will really go down. We can get into a whole other rabbit hole on why, but I just wanted to kind of pose that to you with bringing in more efficiency, having these tools there. It seems like the cost should come down. I would say I don't think they will. So I think they will. For those reasons, I fully expect if you can imagine a world that will exist in practices that are embracing the change that's happening, if you can imagine a world where ambient medical record keeping is happening in real time, 
where a veterinarian is just literally walking from appointment to appointment and the software is creating and generating that medical record just based off of that natural conversation that's happening. It's doing the billing. It's making estimates. It's booking rechecks. That's literally 12 months away. Because what I'm seeing is like, we're 80% of the way here. We're beta testing some amazing products in the practice management software that we're utilizing. And it's bananas how good it is. And we know what they're striving to do. So of course that's going to happen, that we're going to have a deflation of veterinary prices in these practices that are able. All I want as a practice owner is 20%. Give me 20% profitability and I'll be the happiest guy in the world. I don't care what my prices are, right? As long as that I'm doing that. So there's no reason why I wouldn't be able to utilize efficiency and technologies and see my vaccine prices literally plummet. I would say I agree with you. It should. I think the reason it won't is bigger than it has nothing to do with the technology within vet med. I think it's structurally from the way that our both economies in Canada and in the United States, right? We live in a inflationary monetary policy where we create more of these units. And so it pushes up prices, right? Because ultimately you're going to bring in efficiencies, but there's going to be additional costs that will follow from other places. Unless it's a in, in my opinion, shift, yeah. right? Unless and it's what we've seen. that is so incredibly fundamentally shifting, which I believe that if we solve medical records, we're going to be laughing. Think of the future of integrated neural link in a veterinarian with instant access and recall to the entire body of veterinarian literature and the newest science. Think of how much faster we would be able to go because of that. It will decrease. There's definitely some supply issues, right? Okay, are the pharma companies going to drop my vaccine price? Is there going to be some sort of disruptor in that? Is there going to be some biologics manufacturer that is also thinking the same lines that we're thinking that is somehow able to fundamentally drop those costs. I'm seeing it in in different areas, right? Like the ability for me to go out and find, this was really hard to do, but in Canada, we found a vendor for us to be able to access wellness panels at a significantly reduced rate because they're embracing innovation. So now I have the ability to send out wellness panels for probably 25% of what the typical standard cost is in Canada. I have a wellness panel at my vet clinic that costs only 25% of what it would cost me to run it in-house. That's amazing, right? What if that goes even further, right? Yeah, what if somebody comes out with some sort of in-house analytics that completely disrupts what IDEX is doing, right? That's possible, is it not? How could it not be possible? So there is a lot of things. And then you add on like, and then what if I'm hiring veterinarians for $75,000 again? Sounds like I'm cutting my prices. I want to cut my prices. Yeah. Well, and you, in the way that you run your business is going to be different. But I think I use the idea of like Starbucks, right? Like Starbucks and raise their prices. And then let's say they get more efficient and they do. They obsess on like five seconds when they make a drink because they know how important that is across their business unit of how they train and how they do things. They don't then go back and provide those savings back to the individual. They don't cut those prices again. And I'm not necessarily saying you won't. I'm saying as a whole within veterinary medicine, I don't think we will see costs come down. 
right? But fundamentally, what is Starbucks as a business, right? It's a publicly traded. The second that you are venture capital backed, or if you're publicly traded, your entire mission becomes returns to shareholders, maximize returns to shareholders, right? I don't care what anybody says. I'm the only shareholder. Yeah, there's truth to that. And no, I agree with that. I think on aggregate, though, with the push of consolidation and where things have gone on aggregate, I don't think it will, it'll bring down costs. That's just my take on it. But I'm, you're a lot closer to it. You're a lot closer to it, right, than I am. So, Well, and I have a vested interest in hoping that the consolidators don't innovate and they continue on and they do have exorbitant. Even now, to compare my prices to the consolidators is absolutely spectacular so low cost in comparison. And we're scratching our heads looking at some of these invoices that are brought in by new patient, new client. And I'm just like, what am I doing wrong? We're so cheap in comparison. There's some spectacular things. How is it possible in this day and age with the efficiencies that we have that a cat neuter is $600? I don't get it. I can't even compute that high. So maybe they will continue on and maybe there will be a hundred FenVets one day and we'll just keep doing our thing. Yeah, because at that point, and it kind of leads into another post that you had that I really liked with the market, it's going to then push those prices in a way where if the competition is there and it's bringing the prices down, they'll have to adjust their prices. The $600 just, it doesn't last, right? So you made a post that was some veterinary brands are built to sell, some are built to do veterinary medicine. And I think that sums up a lot of what you just shared, but is there anything there that you feel like you haven't touched on yet? Because I thought that was really no. Really it's great. just I think just like a frustration that I have that I've realized over the last little while is because I'm not selling, because I'm not looking for, I because I don't want NBA to buy me. They've tried. I don't want them to buy me. Told them to go away. Right? Is that gives me a freedom to actually speak my mind? And what I feel is that I don't have unique thoughts. What's unique is that I have no restrictions in just saying what I'm thinking. I wish the industry was more transparent and that these thought leaders were having real conversations in public, right? Because I have the real conversations with people in private, and then I go and listen to the ecosystem that exists out there in the public, and I'm like, nobody's saying what they actually think. And if my end game was to build 13 FenVets and hope that a VCA was going to buy me, then I would keep my lips really tight, right? Because I wouldn't want to piss anybody off. But I don't care because I'm super happy doing what we're doing. So I wish there was just more real talk within the industry because I think it's necessary, right? I think we need to have transparent and open public conversations. That's why I said yes to this, right? Because I've like there's so much that can be done within our profession and it's not going to come from the top down it's going to be grassroots right it's going to be us that are dreaming and doing and that's where the fun is and that's where the longevity is and that's where the support is just think about culture is culture really going to come from the avma most recent article on culture or is it going to come from loudmouth practice owners saying, hey, everybody else, your culture's super shit. Why don't you do something about it? If you can improve the health of an animal, you do it, right? 
Of course. That's what makes veterinarians special. You're mission-driven. My friends at LifeLearn are the exact same way. For over 25 years, they've been partnering with you and your peers, providing affordable, customizable, online software solutions. These solutions save time, increase efficiency, and assist in managing all aspects of operations. Why? They want to help you improve your partnership with pet owners to improve pet health. LifeLearn has award-winning digital media solutions and are leading the pack as they've prioritized having extensive veterinary knowledge throughout their teams. That difference is seen, it's heard, and it's read by thousands of people across the country. Relax, grow, and thrive with LifeLearn. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer to see how LifeLearn can allow you to get back to what you do best. And I had a question from some listeners that wanted to ask about cultural aspects of of FinVet, your expectations you set with your team. Is that part of what you're providing them up front? How's that evolved? And they had mentioned you you see like a veg that obviously has their style of doing something and how you've built that out or how you've thought about it. Yeah, for sure. So culture all came back to when I was setting up FenVet. So our mission is to reimagine the vet care experience. And what I mean by that is that I want to provide a platform for us to continually reimagine veterinary care together. You don't just reimagine it once and then you're done. You need a place where you can continually approve upon. And why do I want to improve upon it? Because I think there's going to be a paradigm shift. And do I want to be standing there holding my scalpel and stethoscope and doing what everybody else is doing? Or do I want to be part of what the next version of what we do is? Why? Because it's inevitability, right? Because it happens in every business. So I'm trying to be as proactive as possible to be on the other side of that shift. So in that, I wanted to provide a backbone. I wanted to provide a skeleton for reimagination to exist. So think of it as a test kitchen, a mad scientist laboratory, or Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, right? This place that now we can reimagine what we do together. But I needed a strategy to be able to do that, right? And I had read this beautiful book, The Blue Ocean Strategy. I don't know if you've ever thumbed through its pages before, but essentially what it was discussing was in any business, one of the best ways that you can operate is to find a space where nobody else is competing. That's the blue ocean. The red ocean is where the sharks live, right? There's blood in the water. My favorite example of that, I always think of a discount liquor store. That's a red ocean business. It's a race to the bottom. It's thin margin. You can't even afford a janitor to mop the floor. And that's why it's always dirty. That's one type of business and that's in a red ocean. But if you can find that blue ocean where nobody else is competing, things should be pretty easy. There was an exercise. There was an exercise there where you actually just listed out everything your business sector does, right? So I did it for veterinary medicine. You just make an X, Y axis. On that X axis, you just list out everything a veterinary clinic does. And then on the Y axis, you just rank it as a, do you do it really well or do it very poor as an industry average, right? So I did small animal medicine. I wrote medicine. I ranked it super high. I think that our medicine's great across the industry. Yeah, there's some bad actors, but this is what we went to school to do. We give us some tools, give us a team, and we can go be great veterinary professionals. I ranked surgery super high too, right? If I was going to make a business, I wasn't going to go out and compete and say, we've got the best medicine in the world. That would be a red ocean. That would be really hard to do. 
right? There's some killer vet clinics out there doing really great medicine. Same thing with surgery. So then I wrote down cost and I ranked it kind of middle. I think there's some clinics that are charging a lot and some that aren't charging enough. And I wrote out dog food sales and I wrote out boarding and I wrote out grooming and everything a vet clinic does. And then I wrote the word customer experience and I ranked it super low. And right beside it, I wrote culture and I ranked that super low. And I just circled those two things. And I was like, I guess there's our business, right? That's the backbone. We're reimagining the bed care experience based off of exceptional seven-star customer experience and amazing practice culture. So that's where the culture part came from. And I wanted to clarify that because that is how core it is to what we do. That if a question is presented to us where it does not enhance customer experience or enhance our culture, we don't do it, right? So it's the litmus test against everything that we do. And what I told the team when we first started is that I would do whatever it took at all, whatever cost it took to make sure that we're fostering great practice culture. And one of the promises I made is if somebody had to go, then somebody has to go, right? That I had seen too many practices allowing too many toxic individuals be part of the team and people would just not make the hard decision. Firing people sucks, right? Nobody likes firing people. But it is endemic across the industry that you have a high producing veterinarian who's a good producing veterinarian, who's an absolute asshole that nobody ever makes leave the practice. You can't be an asshole and a bad vet. You can't be both of those things, but you can certainly be an asshole and a good vet. So that's endemic. There's just toxic people everywhere. So I promise to the team. I will do the hard thing, no matter how bad it sucks. And from there, we started fostering that culture, right? That it was always in back of mind. We need to make sure that we have a great culture. And I didn't know if I could build a great culture from scratch. I knew I couldn't take a mediocre culture and make it great. I had tried that before in other vet clinics, but so I didn't even have an option. I had to build one from scratch and I didn't know if I could, but now I can tell you today that we have an exceptional culture. And from there, what did I not expect to answer your question? I didn't expect how good it would be. I didn't expect that they would then distill down our core strategy and they would distill down our mission and they would name it and they would name themselves the same name. So much like the veggies have the veggies, my fennies are the fennies, right? And Everything they do is Fenny. And I don't know if Veg talks this way, but if we do a work interview with somebody, a working interview, I just ask my team, how were they? And they just answer, they were Fenny or they weren't Fenny. It encompasses everything. They ask themselves when they're presented with a challenge or a question within the practice, what's the Fenny way to do this? What's the Fenny answer? What's the Fenny way to treat my colleague? What's the Fenny way to treat this customer? They even utilize it for like, if I sent them out to get toilet paper, they would know what the Fenny toilet paper looks like. One ply is not Fenny. That I didn't expect. I knew the importance of mission, which I think is very underestimated within our profession. We put mission statements on our websites and nobody ever looks at it again. And what people actually don't realize is that your mission statement and your core strategies are the answer to every question you'll ever be presented, period, full stop. But I didn't expect my team to boil it down to a singular word that completely encompasses that mission and those core strategies. I love that. 
and giving them the freedom and flexibility. It's not like you came in and said, hey, I have the world solved. Here's all the answers I know best. I've never been in another animal clinic. I was embarrassed to tell the world this for two years. I've never been in a small animal clinic in my life. The first time I walked into one was FenVet 1. I took one step in and now I've been in my first small animal clinic. I know nothing. This should not be me. I'm a cow vet from Northern Alberta. I grew up on a farm. I was a cow vet for a decade. It should not be me sitting here. Yeah, I literally know nothing in terms of what's going on. But what I do know is I'm super passionate about veterinary medicine, right? And surround yourself with a great team, have a crystal clear mission, crystal clear strategy. They do it, right? I don't hire anybody. They hire everybody. I present them with people. I say, here's this working interview. They hire them. I don't interfere at all. It was one of the first few touch points of when I knew who you were was when you open sourced basically your business plan. You said, hey, I'm posting this out here. Use it. Check it out. I've shared it with veterinarians that I've known. Hey, take a look at this. I don't know if you've seen it. I think that's awesome. It's amazing. It's super beneficial. And I'm sure it's inspiring as well. What's been the feedback? Have you had people just randomly ping you that you've never met that said, hey, this has been super helpful or any stories? Oh, yeah, absolutely. All over the place. It is now the backbone resource for DeNovo. It's also interesting to see because sometimes people don't create a copy of it, right? They don't make their own copy and then modify it. So then all of a sudden I go to open up my Google Docs and somebody has edited it. And they have their full business plan. It's hilarious. So then I'll make another copy and put it out on the internet. But yeah, it's been spectacular. And I'm sort of this beacon. I get phone calls all day, every day from people wanting to do de novos. And that makes me really, really optimistic about the future of veterinary medicine. So I know there's lots of entrepreneurial veterinarians looking to do de novos. I put it out because that's not the hard part. I wasted way too much time and put in way too much effort and had no idea and was frustrated with the lack of resources that existed within our space. There's no example of one, right? That's really hard if you've never made a business plan before, right? And putting together the spreadsheets that I have, utilizing that business plan. Well, I did it at AHA, right? I had a three-hour talk in AHA. And in the last hour, we built a vet clinic from scratch. You should be able to do your business plan in an hour, if it's really the mission and the strategy are the important parts and it's got the built-in financial planner, so you just plug in how many, what you think your market penetration is going to be and how many clients you think you're going to have and your average client transactions and what your square footage is and the cost of the build-out and it calculates the rest. It should only take you an hour to do a business plan. That's the easy part. And that's why I put it out there because the hard part is when you open the door for the first time. The hard part is the next 10 years. The easy part is opening. Anybody can build a vet clinic. Do you think, going back to what you talked about earlier, where you see consolidators, they're going to optimize, they're going to close locations. To me, they're not selling it back to the younger veterinarian. And it's a Genova that's going to fill the, the void if someone's from that area, which is great, right? Candidly, they can then build what they have envisioned to fill that gap. But you made another comment that younger veterinarians maybe aren't as keen on practice ownership. Do you think it's they're not keen on buying someone else's version of practice ownership or they're not as keen on just owning in general? Yeah, so it's both. It's currently both. 
because of this, what I call the orphan generation, right? So when I graduated veterinary school, you would go out into a practice and the majority of those veterinarians would be 60-year-old plus, usually white males. And they would see a young, keen veterinarian come into their practice and they would mentor them into ownership, right? They would talk for two years about how great it is being a practice owner and that you could do this. I believe in you. I'll help you. I'll support you. I'll be around here for five more years after you buy this practice. That's how succession happened. And that was a great way. That really worked. But then when we saw the multiples skyrocket, those old white boys stopped talking about practice ownership to the associates because obviously they weren't going to sell to the associates. Not when you're getting a 16x multiple or 20x multiple. And even if your practice wasn't one of those that was ever going to sell, it completely tainted the market in terms of perceived practice value, right? So you've got the three and four doctor practice that is high revenue that sells for a 20 multiple. And then his classmate down the road running a one or two doctor practice sees the big cash out, hears about the multiple. It's his buddy, right? He told him what he got. And now he thinks his one or two doctor practice should be worth X millions of dollars when it actually never was. But they thought that they were going to be able to cash out on this golden goose opportunity. The golden goose opportunity is now over. The ability to sell your practice for those kinds of multiples is done. And nobody's talking to the next generation about the benefits of practice ownership. I think it's amazing. Practice ownership is spectacular. It gives you an incredible financial freedom. It sets you up with amazing equity. I think we're going to get there again. I think we're going to start talking about it again. But I think it's too late for those one and two doctor practices that are owned by 65-year-old veterinarians. I think that there isn't enough time to mentor the next phase of veterinarian. So it's not just whether or not it's to buy a practice or to do a de novo. I think they really, most of them still aren't interested because nobody's talked about it yet to them specifically. Yeah. This might be a question that is helpful for some folks. You don't have to answer it if you don't want, but how do you think about equity in your practice, knowing kind of your long-term goals versus taking cash flow and free cash flow out to the personal side. Do you have any sort of structure on that? Things that have evolved? Again, as much detail or as little as you want to provide, I think would be interesting for some folks. Yeah. So in terms of my current actions to date, I have not paid myself yet. I've been running Venbed for three years and I've put every red cent we've ever made back into this to fund growth, right? I've got a dream. I want there to be more Venbeds. I want there to be more fennies, more veterinary professionals working in more fen vets. And this is what I do. I'm not practicing, right? I take a handful of appointments a week. All my efforts are focused on optimization, growing our practices, finding the next location, figuring out the plan of how we're going to do this. So that's very much my take on it is I want to grow this thing because I believe in it. It's what I want to do. I, I, built this to be my dream career for the next 35 years. That was my goal when I had that phase where I wasn't working to create literally the career of my dreams, not the job of my dreams. What was I going to do, right? How do I think about equity? I would say across the board, my vets want 
nothing to do with equity. They don't want to pay $200,000 or $700,000 to have a percentage of a practice. That's not at all interesting to them. That was, you know, I think there's still some that are out there that would be interested in that. That's how Dr. Dan built 18 practices, right? He would find the hotshot veterinarian working as an associate. He would essentially give them 20% equity and they, he would build a practice around them. That's not what I'm doing, but I'm very interested and will do an ESOP program, right? So I'm going to peel out 30% of FenVet and that's going to go to my employees. There will be a vesting period throughout that. So obviously once you mature that vesting period at say five years, then you have equity in Fen. I don't need 100% of Fen, right? I want my team to have it. What's a like a long-term goal? I would love nothing more that when I die, FenVet is 100% ESOP. What my goal with ESOP though, is that a career technologist, so this is not ESOP just for the veterinarians. This is ESOP across the board, whether you're a client care coordinator or you work on the phone team. I want a career technologist to spend 20 years with FenVet and walk away with more value than she would have or he would have if I was doing a 401k matching program, right? I want them to walk out with three or $400,000 in their genes from giving me their life, essentially. I love that. Yeah, ESOPs are, I think, really interesting. It hasn't been used much in veterinary medicine at all, so... It'd be fun to watch that develop over time and see, but it does help with this idea of the retention of key talent. Hey, I care about you, but I also actually do something about it. I just just tell you because it's funny. I see lots of people that are critical (laughs) on social media when you you see big corporations talking about how much they love their team and all the stuff they do. And it's like, yeah, but why do you do X, Y, Z, right? Why do you do ABC, which your veterinarians and your teams hate? but yet you put out these nice posts and say all the right things, but it's like, eh, actions speak louder than words. And that's a big one. So let's talk about this. I was asked by a founder of one of these de novo groups that are in the US. How do I motivate veterinarians to produce more? This is what he wanted to know. How do you motivate a team? It seems like production only goes so far. I don't pay production. I have no sign-on bonus. I do no bonuses. I do no production, nothing. They want to come work for me. Here's the straight salary. We're going to talk about production, right? We're going to talk about efficiencies. We're going to talk about optimization. You're going to see your production, right? But it's not at all correlated in terms of what you're going to hire on at. So how do you incentivize? I told you I want more FemVets, right? I want to build another location. We've got these two locations here. I want to build a third in the city. How do I do that? Well, I need cash flow. How do I get cash flow? I need my vets to make money. How do I incentivize them to make money in order to open another vet clinic? What possible reason would they have to support us doing another vet clinic? And they want to. And the reason is an intrinsic motivation because they truly want other veterinary professionals to work in a FenVet and be as happy as they are. How incredible is that? That's culture, right? They have no financial incentive whatsoever, me opening up another companion animal practice, but they support me wholeheartedly because they want their friend to work there. They want their team member that worked at a VCA center to work there. They truly want that. That's incredible. How much do you share or talk about like kind of the financial 
aspects and health of a FinVet location with the team so that they know like, hey, this is what we're working towards. Do you share that? Is it all? 100% transparent. Everybody can look at everybody's production. There's anxiety around that for them, right? There's massive anxiety when it comes to launching a new location and them sharing in that journey with me as the practice owner, right? Launching a new location is scary. Never knowing what your cash flow is going to be the next month, having this burn rate, watching money just flood out of your bank account. But they're there, right? And they know that I'm genuinely making decisions to support and sustain what we're doing when we make decisions. Okay, we're going to have to adjust this. We're going to have to adjust that. We're going to have to not hire that next veterinarian if we have one leave. What can we do with three vets on the floor instead of four? They're all very supportive of that because of those reasons, because of that transparency, and because they want more fen vets to exist. One of the greatest recruiting has been them, right? We've got a waiting list of 28 veterinarians for two hospitals local veterinarians. That's not like all the vets that are in the U.S. that say they want to work at a fen vet. That's just local vets. That came from my team, right? They tell me they go and do a locum shift. I don't stop my vets from working locum shifts, right? If they want to go pick up a locum shift, not a problem. I don't have any non-competes. I have no restrictions. It's a job. It's not slavery. So they'll go pick up locum shifts and they'll, other veterinarians will sit next to them and they'll say like, is it really as great as it seems? And they're like, yeah, you should apply. That has been fantastic. So you posted on LinkedIn about a year ago. You said, today at FinVet, we implemented unlimited CE funds for veterinary technologists. I'll let you know how it works out. I was just curious. How's it going? We haven't rescinded it yet. I haven't had any technologists pick up a CE event in South Africa or anything like that. What I wanted to do and the basis of that was I had a veterinary technologist who hated doing dentals, okay? She just hated them. She had an ER background, super amazing personality, hated dentals and was vocal about it. So I said, okay, I want you to go to dental CE. She said, well, where? I'm like, you're going to you're gonna go to Dr. Brett C in Orlando. And she's like, how much is that? I'm like, don't worry about it. We're going to fix this problem. We're going to send you to the best CE possible. And you're going to learn. The reason you don't like to do dentals is you're not good at them. So we're going to make you good at them because when you're good at something, you usually like doing them. So we send her down. She goes to the course. She comes back. She loves doing dentals. And I was like, okay, well, why did that work? Well, first off, it was access to CE that she would have never been able to access with traditional technologist benefits, right? They get industry standard. It's bullshit. They don't get much. It's like $500 a year or even $1,000 a year. What's that going to get you? It's not going to get you a flight. Technologists are paid less, so they don't have as much disposable income as veterinarians to invest in their continuing education. So you kind of have to break that barrier for them. You have to provide essentially unlimited in order for them to actually do what continuing education is meant to do. Continuing education isn't this thing where we're just supposed to go through the motions and watch a few videos online on Vet Girl, and then we send into our VMA that we did 20 hours of continuing education. Continuing education is supposed to make us better, right? It's supposed to make us better team members. It's supposed to make us more efficient and more effective and help pets. But how is a technologist across the industry actually supposed to be able to access that? They can't pay for the, even if they're well paid at $30 an hour for a technologist, which my tech starting wage is, 
life's expensive. A room at a Marriott costs $350, right? A good course is a thousand or two thousand dollars. So I needed to break down that barrier and I saw the results and the investment was that technologist right now today is sitting downstairs and she's doing two dentals. She's doing two dentals this morning. Do we think she paid for herself? Did she pay for that CE? She paid for it today. And if I didn't take that step and invest in her, she probably would have left the clinic, right? She probably would have been like, I hate dental so much I'm leaving. So it's worked good. I haven't had anybody abuse it. I've had them actually, what did it do? It allowed them to dream and actually pick CE that made them better technologists and not just checking the boxes. What do you think, and as we kind of wrap up here at the end, and I know a lot of this has been kind of throughout the conversation, but is there a thought or belief or an area that you hold within veterinary medicine that's non-consensus compared to your peers that maybe we haven't touched on yet? I think what I want to clarify is I think that being a vet is absolutely incredible. I think that from the first second that I walked into a vet clinic when I was 16 years old and the smell of iodine and dog piss permeated my sinuses, I have forever been hooked on this profession. And as I get deeper and deeper into it, I'm just amazed with the opportunity, with the ability to dream and do. I view my DVM as literally a golden ticket. I have a DVM from an accredited veterinary college. I can literally go work in any country as a veterinarian, no questions asked, doing my dream job. I can open hospitals in the least regulated medical profession. We're the darling of the healthcare professions. We've got so much ability to be entrepreneurs, to do things the way that we want. I couldn't imagine trying to run a human hospital. Could you imagine the regulations, the red tape, the bureaucracy? How preposterous is it that I don't have to ask anybody to open a clinic in downtown Calgary, that I can just do it? I couldn't do that with a human hospital. That'd be preposterous. So the future is bright. I cannot wait to watch the next two years and 20 years and 60 years unfold. I hope I get 60 more years in this profession. It's the best. It's literally the best. I usually wrap up with allowing a guest to ask me a question. I feel like part of me should just cut it there because that was a great kind of way to end it. But I did tease it out at the beginning when we chatted. So if you had something, I didn't want to ignore it and then go away. But is there anything, because I've asked you a ton of questions. This has been a, an absolute blast. Anything that you want to kind of shoot back my way? I would like to know your reflection or perspective on the future, right? Where do you see this going? Well, it sounds really cliche to be like, hey, what you just kind of went on your little 120 second, I'll call it a rant, but it was really good of just why veterinary medicine is awesome. I like the darling of the medical that's great because everyone always has this attitude of like, oh, woe is me. I'm a veterinarian. Oh, woe is me. I don't make as much as my human health peers. You know, ah, oh, student debt, ah, oh, this and that. The options that you have and the flexibility you have as a veterinarian is massively different than a lot of other medical professionals. The amount of breadth of what you can do within vet med, the specializations, the things that you can do is amazing. And that's not even practice ownership because I think the ownership side of it is also really interesting. That's been kind of, Day one, when I started the podcast in 2019, was trying to get people 
hey, if I was a person that liked the medical side of things, which I don't, I don't think I would be a good veterinarian. I've sat through some surgeries and different things. I'm like, eh, not really my thing. I'll watch it, but I wouldn't want to be doing that, right? It's not for me. This would be a profession just because of, from a business perspective, I see it. And I think a lot of veterinarians don't see it. The opportunities are really good. The competition that you're up against, even if they're PE backed and they're all this, we talked about it. There are major issues with the models that they're trying to run and the free money with super low interest rates. That world is over. That ship has sailed. So now it gets even better for you as a private owner or an individual that's not in a corporate entity. So I do think that the future is bright. I like the idea of grassroots. It's never going to be top down and like what actually sticks. You can be someone within your local organized veterinary medicine, take a stand or have an opinion and just be like, hey, here, I can't change everything nationally, but here we can look at things differently. We can encourage young veterinarians instead of telling them, oh, I wouldn't go into veterinary medicine. Like, ugh, this is such a bad thing. I'm like, why do people do that? Right? That negativity, it's not going to help. And so the complaining to me, is one of those things, there are legitimate issues in veterinary medicine that can't be discounted, but you can't just complain and just chit and chat all the time about it. You got to do something. And so that's the way I look at it. It is super positive and there are lots of really good things. It's just sometimes people, I think, just are too negative versus going out there and doing something about it. I agree. I remember distinctly seeing people start talking about their vet school experience even before I was in vet school, right? This was like the dawn of Facebook. So it was the first time you kind of got to see people's public thoughts. And I was shocked at how people were whining in vet school about how hard it was or the things they had to do or when they get out into practice, the amount of negativity that I see of people just, they get out into practice, they're literally doing their dream job and they're just like, oh, woe is me right? That, oh, the life of a veterinarian, so hard. Like, it's almost like they're looking for that. They're seeking that validation, but they don't recognize that it's just this perpetuation of this negativity and this terrible culture that's permeated through the entire profession. And everybody has the ability to counteract that or to propagate it further. And I'm not seeing a lot of that are coming out saying, this is so amazing. 99% of the content that goes out there is usually client bashing. You ever see me client bash? Never, right? Or profession bashing, right? Nothing that I said was profession bashing. What's the intent with it, right? You can call out things. There's this idea of being in a, a high truth, but also high grace environment, right? So you can call out things that are wrong, but you can do it in the right way spirit, right? It's sure. not just There's, saying like, I'm, I'm better than you. Grace. I'm not seeing grace. Sure. Be all the high truth you want, but I'm not seeing grace either. Yep. Um, I love corporate consolidation. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me personally. I couldn't imagine a better thing because I would be absolutely screwed as an entrepreneurial veterinarian if all of the hospitals in my city were ran by entrepreneurial veterinarians. I wouldn't have a chance. Yeah. And again, think of it as a gift versus this overwhelming challenge, right? Lean into it. Any closing thoughts, places where people can find you if they don't know who you are from that standpoint? Obviously, I'll tag the FinVet business plan for those that are looking to do that as well. Yeah. I just like to show the beauty of what we do, right? My social media approach is essentially showing a window into what FinVet is like, right? And that's even our FinVet social media. We don't 
do social media to attract clients. We are trying to tell a story for prospective employees so they can understand our story, right? They can feel us before they even come in the door. It's like the self-selection of people who want to come into the fold, right? I definitely want customers who are interested in FenBet to get a feel for our spirit. But that's essentially all that I post is just like a behind the scenes of what I think is this amazing practice culture. And then on LinkedIn is usually where I get the most mouthy. So yeah, I'll just get into some sort of mood on my drive home and have to write something on LinkedIn that I feel like needs to be said and talked about. Like we have a leadership shortage. Where's all our leaders? I want our vet leaders back. Come out of retirement. That's great. Thank you for the time. Really, really appreciate it. This was fantastic. And yeah, look forward to hearing how people enjoy it. And hopefully there's a lot of lessons that they can kind of pull away and uh, implement. So thank you. Well, thank you for shining such a great light on the profession. I have listened to a lot of your podcasts and I appreciate the perspective. I love when non-veterinarians are so incredibly passionate about what we do. And when they are, they're extremely passionate, right? I love it so much. So thanks for telling our stories. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment tax or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. However, you are intelligent enough to make decisions for yourself. So I do encourage you to dig in learn for yourself and not just outsource every decision that you make. You should talk to your professional team if you have one before implementing anything that I talk about, but also make sure they know what they're talking about. Push them, question them. That's healthy. That's okay. Oh yeah. And you should probably own and learn a little bit about that Bitcoin thing. The biggest compliment you can give to me is to share the show with a friend or the podcast. If there's another episode that you really like, that helps folks find it. That helps it grow. Um, reviews are critical. The Apple podcast is the platform that's predominantly used for how people find the show. So if you have three minutes, love the show, please head over, give us five stars. If you believe that's what we earned, that would help more people find the show. Also, if you're new, go to YouTube. It's a channel, uh, putting up all the videos there as well. Sometimes it's going to be more interactive. Other times it's just going to be the conversation. So vainly, I want to get a hundred subscribers. So I get the vanity URL. That's the goal. We're on our way, but not quite there yet. For all of today's links information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can also subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss any episodes in the future. And finally, if you'd like more information, insights, or have the ability to, for your voice to be heard, join the Facebook group. You can search for the Veterinarian Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll to the bottom, about your host, click on the Facebook icon. And thanks again for listening. I appreciate you. All right. So there are a lot of great job postings that I want to get to. And so we're going to start off with Bayside Hospital for Animals, great work-life balance in beautiful Fort Walton Beach, Florida. No weekends, Monday to Friday, eight to five, no on-call or emergencies. It's appointment only here. Currently a two and a half doctor practice, new owner in 2021, bringing some fresh life into the hospital. The new owner had been there for six years prior working, so definitely understands the team, the processes in the community. Lots of investment in people and new equipment. ProSal is the pay structure Far too many benefits for me to list. Email BaysideVet251 at Yahoo or call 850-864-1857. Join a thriving, growing, small animal practice in Vermont on the Quebec border. Full-time ideal, part-time is considered. The idea is to start with yes with the team, patients and clients in outdoor woman's paradise while uh, being able to practice high-quality medicine. Compensation is write your own structure within production capabilities. Literally, it is 
the owner wants to find the right person and is happy to negotiate, chat through and find the right fit. If you want autonomy and a boss that enjoys teaching, reach out to Newport Veterinary Hospital. You can email newportveterinaryhospital at gmail.com. North Central Indiana, looking for an oasis in the chaos. Who isn't, right? Come join the amazing team at Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. They strive to foster a fun, fast-paced work environment while providing quality patient care. They utilize the support staff efficiently so that the doctor is available to practice medicine and do what you're trained to do in less time and paperwork, which is great. Lots of investment in new equipment and technology to support you, full-time or part-time available. Small animal and exotics are both seen there, so no ER. No on-call, no weekends, competitive salary with sign-on bonus offered, and far too many benefits to list. Go to Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. So type that in and you'll find the job posting there. Last but not least, join Watertown Animal Hospital, personable, small animal veterinarian wanted for well-established current five-doctor mixed animal practice in northern New York, which is an outdoors person's paradise. Again, two of those. So if you like the outdoors, you can look at Vermont or New York. They have plenty of support staff with six CSRs six licensed technicians, four animal caretakers, two technical assistants, a hospital associate, or sorry, hospital assistant, a practice manager, and a bookkeeper. Focuses on mentorship and investment on the people and the technology. That's been a strategic initiative by the leadership team. No on-call, a 24-hour ER less than an hour away. Salary based on experience, but no less than 95000 Can be straight salary, pro-sal considered. Want to discuss that with the right person. Tons of benefits. Again, too much to list. Please reach out to Watertown petcare.com for that option as well. So again, if you find a role or a job or talk to anyone and it helps you in any way, I would love to hear that feedback. So please reach out, let me know what you're able to do. And I will continue to post these. So if you are an owner, reach out to me, let me know, and we'll go from there. And until I hit a capacity of, I can't keep recording these, I want to let people know who are high quality owners around the country looking for great help. So with that, we'll talk soon.